You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit VOTR.church. It's so good to worship with all of you while you're sitting. Let me take a moment to welcome everyone on the live stream. We are so glad that you're joining us as well. You know, every Sunday morning behind the camera, there are folks moving and toggling between the different angles, throwing up slides, engaging with you on the chat and praying for you. And we hope and pray that God will meet you exactly where you're at this morning as well. So grateful that you're joining us. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard. And I have a scary thought for you as we begin. A scary thought for all of us. This is going to cause some of the anxiety in the room to increase. Christmas, five weeks away. Five weeks away. That's terrifying for me because I haven't really done anything to prepare for Christmas. I'm sure some of us are in that boat. Uh, But of course, it means there's also a ton going on at our church. The best way that you can stay up to date and learn about everything happening at the Vineyard is by visiting votrweekly.org. If you pull out your phone, you can use your phone at this church. It's not a big deal. People fall asleep when I preach, so you can use your phone while I preach. Go to votrweekly.org, and you can look on that site. Under the announcement tabs, you'll see all the things that are happening at the Vineyard in the next five weeks. We have outreaches. We have events. There's a baby dedication coming up. There's all kinds of things you can sign up for. I just would encourage you to look at that list. Sign up for anything. Sign up for everything if you want. Um, because I know our staff and many of our leaders, we would love to serve with you. We would love to worship with you and connect with you this Christmas season. But before Christmas, of course, we have Thanksgiving. We have Thanksgiving. And for me, every time I think about Thanksgiving, I'm like instantly translated to this nostalgic time where I remember visiting my grandparents. Visiting my grandparents around Thanksgiving was always the best, and they would usually get us something. It wasn't a big gift. It was just like a tease for Christmas, just a reminder that the big gift-giving holiday is coming. But Thanksgiving at my grandparents was always the best. I remember one time my grandma, she gave me a blanket at Thanksgiving. And, you know, I mean, probably not like the thing that a young boy most look for most looks forward to getting a blanket from grandma but this one was special because i later found out that she made that blanket all on her own she weaved every thread and with every thread that she weaved into that blanket with every tie at the end she was praying for me and she was asking god to reveal his love to me. Now, I don't remember feeling any of those prayers. I don't remember anything special happening to me when I used that blanket to warm up and watch TV or anything like that. I wasn't even a follower of Jesus until my college years. And so I, I probably had this look of like excitement that's trying to mask disappointment, like that kind of look on your face. But looking back, I am so thankful That even before I knew the Lord, someone was praying for me. Someone was praying for me with incredible devotion. And I know that right now in this room, many of you are like my grandma. You're prayer warriors and you have been praying for people by name in your friend group, in your family. And you've been asking God to reveal his love to that person. And I just want to encourage you this morning. Keep praying. Keep praying praying. My grandma didn't see the answer to her prayers for 19 years. 
And I know looking back that she played a part in me giving my life to the Lord. So keep praying. We also have people in this room or, or online any given Sunday that you're like me when I was younger. You're not following Jesus. You've not made a personal decision to surrender your life to the Lord, to experience God's unconditional love and forgiveness, acceptance, and belonging. And you might not know who, but I would imagine someone has been praying for you as well. Just like someone was praying for me. It could be a friend. It could be a, a family member. It could be a local church or just a, an unknown pastor who you have yet to meet. But people have been praying for you. And by the end of our service time together this morning, if you have not yet made a decision to follow Christ and you're like, man, today is the day that I want to make that decision. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond to Christ in that kind of way this morning. But for now, think back to my grandma's blanket. You know, she, she's not the only one who's ever crafted a blanket in prayer. Many people do this and many of them have been inspired by the very scripture that we're going to look at today. The very scripture that we're going to look at today in a message titled the fireplace of devotion, the fireplace of devotion. We're going to be reading from Acts 19 this morning and Acts 19. It's kind of a peculiar chapter in the Bible. There's some interesting things happening in the city of Ephesus in Acts 19. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain a little bit and then read a little bit, explain, read, explain, read. And all the way we were, as we work our way through this scripture, I'm just going to ask Three questions for us to reflect on this morning. But let's start in Acts 19, verse 11. This is when Paul is doing ministry in Ephesus. In Ephesus, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. What a crazy verse. It says in verse 11 that Paul was given the ability to perform unusual miracles. In the original language, it's extraordinary miracles. And in my world, I think we're probably all in the similar boat. In my world, there's no such thing as unusual miracles and normal miracles. There's just miracles. Like they're all quite unusual to me. <laughs> But Paul had experienced enough regular day-to-day -day miracles that he had a separate category for unusual or extraordinary miracles. And that's what he was experiencing in Ephesus. And it makes total sense, actually, because Ephesus at this time and in this place was in a really dark era. It was in a really dark era in its city's history. And you knew that it was going to take an incredible move of God for Ephesus and the people of that city to rush into the kingdom. At this time, Ephesus was a, a hotbed for satanic activity. There was all kinds of sorcery and magic and all kinds of evil, but it was also a, a power center for any kind of power source you could imagine, societal, economic, political, you name it. But it really was kind of this hotbed for satanic activity. And so in this time and in this season, God had anointed Paul to do something extraordinary, to experience unique and unusual miracles so that the people of Ephesus could trade their allegiance to these old dark ways and to the king of all kings. We read that in this scripture that part of the unusualness of these miracles included things like having handkerchiefs or aprons just touch Paul and then all of a sudden be able to heal people who came in contact with them. There's a story like that in the gospels of what happened to Jesus one time when someone just reached out and touched his cloak. 
He was doing the same kinds of things that Jesus did. God was doing something unique in Ephesus. And I want to caution you this morning that if you've never experienced like the unusual miracles that we read about in this passage, if you've never seen the extraordinary power of God show up in your life, it doesn't mean that God's not moving in your life. It doesn't mean that he's not aware of the current season that you're in. We're all in different situations. In this room and online, we're all going through different things. And we all need God to show up in a different kind of way. Some of us need him to show up in our relationships or our family or our job or security. And some of us, like the people of Ephesus, we need God to show up in power because we're oppressed and we're bound and we need to be set free. But just because you've never experienced the extraordinariness of of God's power doesn't mean that he's not active. It would be a mistake to say to yourself, well, well, these are the ancient scriptures of an ancient God, and he doesn't really move that way anymore. You know, I I guess it's just enough to to read the stories and to know things about God, but surely he's not going to show up in my life in that kind of way anymore. Don't go there. Don't go down that trail. God still moves, and God still moves in powerful, powerful ways. And although it's true that God showed up in a unique way for the people of Ephesus, God also knows what situation you are currently in, and he knows exactly what you need. Like I said, you could be in an Ephesus type of season right now where you are oppressed and darkness is all around you, and you are crying out for freedom. God will show up in that place. You might be in a more subdued place where maybe the evil isn't quite overt or oppressive, but you're still crying out and God is aware of everywhere that heart needs to be ministered to as well. But I know this for a fact that God still moves, that God still moves in powerful and in personal ways. So the first question that I want to pull from this scripture, it's a question for all of us to reflect on is simple. What do you need from God today? What do you need from God today? You might need a power encounter. Like that's, that really might be what you need. It happened in Ephesus and it could happen to you. Healing of a disease or freedom from demonic or oppressive activity. But you also may be in a different season and you might need perseverance in prayer. You might need to experience God's comfort or peace. You might need to experience his unconditional love and forgiveness. I have no idea how you stepped in to church this morning, but I know God is keenly aware of every area of your heart and he's ready to minister to them. He's hundred percent aware of what you need. And I believe that later in the service, when we move into our time of ministry and prayer and response, that he will move in your life. If you will ask, what do you need from God today? Now, don't be afraid to just kind of keep asking that question as we work our way through the scriptures this morning. But that's the first question that I want to present to you. What do you need personally? What do you need from him today? Ask that as we pick back up in the scriptures in Acts 19, verse 13. If you thought 11 to 12 was a little peculiar, here's where it gets really interesting. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? So be a little alarming during ministry time. 
Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. What a fascinating story. I mean, how do you not love the Bible after reading something like this? And I can just say to all the parents in the room who dropped their kids off just a few minutes ago, I give you my word, our kids ministry team is not going to try to put this one in a skit. Okay? You are safe at the vineyard. Your kids are going to get a lot of the fruit of the spirit. The unconditional love of God is forgiveness and power. You're not going to get the seven sons of Sceva getting beat up by a demon-possessed man. That would be, boy, that would be an interesting one. But if you think about it, if you, if you just dig into this passage just a little, I mean, this is a strange, very strange moment in church history. These brothers were itinerant like exorcists, and they were traveling from town to town to town, casting out evil spirits. There's no record, by the way, of a leading priest named Sceva. So many think it's just like this syncretistic way of, I do a little bit of this, I dabble in this religion, I dabble in this religion, and oh, Jesus and Paul seem powerful, so let's add their name to the whole list of incantations that we have, just so we can just get power anywhere that we can find it. Right? So, so they, this is what they tried. And, and obviously, it goes without saying, but we should say it anyway, this totally backfired for them. This was a bad idea. One time they try this, they try to exercise this demon out of this man and set him free. And this dude who's empowered by this demonic presence speaks back and says, I know Paul, I know Jesus, who are you? That's the clue to get out now before they strip you down and beat you up. And that's exactly what happened. All the brothers got stripped naked and driven out of the house, fearing for their lives, running for their little naked spiritual leadership down the road. And the problem is, for them at least, it's good for the gospel, everyone saw this. That's something you can't unsee. People were watching. And this is is what they saw. And besides the whole naked and afraid thing, they saw brothers who were seeking fame, who were traveling around from town to town, probably paying for these exorcisms, trying to use the name of Jesus and Paul to increase their power and increase their fame, but they had no real relationship with Jesus. They had no real relationship with Christ. And that's key for us to recognize because we too need to be wary of people who try to invoke the power of Jesus without actually having a relationship with Jesus. And this still happens today. We also need to not be so careful about everyone else, but we need to take just a a moment of self-reflection this morning. Because simply repeating the name of Jesus in vain repetitions or, or adding his name to a list of a bunch of other names or a bunch of other things where we try to find freedom in our own life isn't going to work very well for us. It's fellowship with Christ that leads to authority. It's proximity to Christ that leads us to his power. This is the second question for today. Are you after his power or are you after his person? Are you after his power or are you after his person? And it's a knife's edge, right? Like it is a knife's edge because if you get the person of Jesus then the power comes along with him, it's not like an either or type of scenario. But if you're in it only for the power, if you're in it only for the power and you don't also have the ability to cling to the cross and to embrace the humility and the sacrifice and the servitude of Jesus Christ, then that is a risky place to be. Power and proximity, both of those are needed to be the safest place 
in the gospel. And this is what happened to these sons of Sceva, right? They wanted more power and more power and more power, but they weren't willing to cling to the cross. They just wanted to add the name of Jesus to a whole bunch of other names. And here's the really interesting thing. As you read the gospel and as you encounter Jesus, you realize there's power in the gospel. There is power in the name of Jesus. At the name of Christ, every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. There is power there. But power without proximity is a risky place to be. And truthfully, what these guys are doing, they're dabbling with magic. Power and magic are two very different things. And if you only want his power without a proximity to his person, I'm telling you, this can lead you into trouble. It's a lot like giving a child a firecracker for the very first time. This is what power without proximity is. I, I'm telling I was thinking about this because I, I remember the first time I gave my children firecrackers and it was pretty risky. It was risky partly because I had modeled for them how I like to light off bottle rockets. And some, some of you might be the same. The way I like to light off bottle rockets is I like to hold them in my hand and light the wick, right? Because I have like this internal clock and I need to feel the rush of like the sparks flying over my forearm. And you just like think, think like three, two, one, and you toss it up in the air and then it takes off and it blows up and it explodes. And it's great. You like get just a little bit of an edge, right? The problem is when you have a five-year-old, three-year-old, and a one-year-old, and they watch you do that for the first time, of course, when you let them light something, they want to do it the same way. And so my son, he grabs the firecracker, the, the bottle rocket, he lights it, but the sparks hit his forearm. He wasn't ready to throw it in the air, so he just dropped it. And we all had to duck and cover because those bottle rockets are like whizzing over your head, singeing your hair as they explode just a couple of feet from your face. This is power without proximity. <laughs> This is power without proximity. It can be a risky, risky place. And many of us, we're, we're, we go about life unaware of God's power. If we're being honest, we, we go about our journey, we go about our life, and we're not always keenly aware about how God is moving or the spiritual pounder, power that's surrounding us. It, it can't always be explained, but it is real. The spiritual powers in this world are real, and Christ does have a power to set you free. The problem is if you're not willing to get close and personal with Jesus, and you just want to hold him at an arm's length, or maybe not even an arm's length, you just want to invoke his name among many other names, then this is a risky place to be. Are you after his power, or are you also after his person? The next part of our scripture is where we finally encounter the fireplace of devotion that we've been talking about. And I love this next part of the scripture because it's where Jesus gets glorified even more and more and more in such great and powerful ways. We're going to pick back up in the same story in verse 17. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. This is our fireplace for today. The value of the books was several million dollars. Acts 19.20, a summary of this story, but really a summary of the previous few chapters. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. 
with all the fanfare in this chapter, with all the unusual miracles, with the naked and beat up sons of Sceva, it all led to Jesus becoming more and more famous. It led to the repentance of hearts and the message of the gospel of the kingdom, the message of Jesus Christ spreading widely and having a powerful effect on that region. All of this leads us to our fireplace of devotion this morning. You look at this text, there's all kinds of things you could talk about. You could talk about the fireplace of God's power. You could talk about the fireplace of spiritual warfare. Both of those would be very interesting topics. But if you really study this passage and you really look at Acts 19, maybe the most powerful thing that happened was the turning of hearts from one way to a new way. People leaving their old lifestyle and turning to God with a full fidelity within their hearts and a desire for holiness in their life. They rushed to the fireplace of devotion. N.T. Wright, who's one of my favorite theologians, summarized Acts 19 this way when he wrote, God gave Paul this incredible ability to see unusual miracles in the city of Ephesus. But the most striking example of God's power at work wasn't the unusual miracles. It was the confession, repentance, and renunciation by those who were practicing darkness. And we've all come across moments and times in our life, right? When we have to choose. We've all had to face intersections in our life where it seems like we're, we could choose this way or that way. And Jesus is asking us, choose this day who you will serve. Do you want to go down this way or do you want to go down this way? There are times in our life when we're at crossroads and we have to say, am I all in with Jesus? Am I all in with Jesus? Or do I only want to add his name to a bunch of other names that give me power and freedom? But anyone I've ever met, anyone I've ever discipled who's really serious about following Jesus can tell me more than one story when they were at a crossroads in their faith, in their walk with Jesus, and they had to decide, am I all in or am I just going to keep kind of dangling? my toes over the pool. This is sometimes what the Lord will do. He'll draw a line in the sand and he'll ask us to throw something in the fire to turn the other way and to never go back. It's sometimes funny how this plays out. In really serious ways, it can be really humble and really somber. And, you know, in youthful zeal, it can look really silly. I was talking with some of my friends. I was talking with some of my friends about this very passage, and we all shared stories about the time where we threw away all of our CDs that weren't worship music because we were going to show God how serious we were, right? Like Snoop Dogg has got to go. It's only Christian worship from this point forward. The D-O-double-G, he's out. It's all Jesus all the time. Anyone else been there? This is like I've been through this journey. And many of my friends have been through this journey as well. It's funny, right? It's funny. And I'm not trying to like offer Snoop Dogg some kind of critique this morning. I like Snoop Dogg, still like Snoop Dogg. (laughs) But truthfully, sometimes the junk in our life, the stuff that's distracting us from being wholehearted for the Lord, it just needs to be left in the fire. We just got to throw it out. We got to burn it in the fire of devotion and we have to move on. For some of us, it's music, it's books, CDs, it's magazines, it's media. Sometimes it's it's apps that are on our phone that have to be deleted so that we can turn the other way and run towards Jesus. Some of us are in this place right now, without a doubt. 
a room this size, everyone online. Some of us are in this place right now. We have addictions, we have habits, we have relationships or part of our lifestyle that are clearly in opposition to what it means to be an all-in, sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. And we need to bring that stuff to the fireplace of devotion and we just need to throw it in the fire and turn around and go the other way. Being wholehearted for Jesus. For the Ephesians, it was witchcraft and demonic power. I'm a pastor in Colorado, so I'm not ignorant to the fact that people are interested in spiritual things in Colorado. Some of us may be actually like the Ephesians today, and we need to walk away from from dark powers and and the oppressive spirits that happen in those kind of scenarios. But for many of us, it's going to be one or two things that we know just have have an attachment to our heart, and they're slowly drifting us away from the Lord, step by step, day by day. And every small decision we make as it drifts, it drifts us further and further away from the Lord. Those are the things that most of us are dealing with this morning. All of this leads to the third question for our time together. What do you need to burn in the fireplace of devotion? All of our questions this morning have been leading to this one. What do you need from God? Are you after his person or his power? And are you willing to burn whatever's keeping you from being wholly devoted to the Lord in the fire so that you can walk more closely with Jesus? Truthfully, some of us have, have gotten pretty comfortable with just kind of cohabitating with those things that keep us from the Lord when actually he's asking us to cut them off and walk away. What in your life needs to be burned? For some of us, the list is short. You already know what it is. I started talking about it and you're like, it's this. I know it's this. Why is God bringing this up today? For others, the list is long and you have no idea where to start. And you're overwhelmed with maybe how long that list is. Trust that God will answer the humble prayers of your heart this morning. And he'll just give you piece by piece by piece. One thing leading to another set of freedom to another set of freedom. Can you imagine what life would be like if you no longer had that oppression in your life? Can you imagine how free you would feel if you could leave some of that stuff that was dragging you down in the fireplace of devotion and be more wholehearted to the Lord? Imagine what that would feel like. Imagine the transformation that you would experience, the forgiveness that would well up within you, the unconditional love that would fall upon you. Imagine what would happen to your relationships around you, the light that it would begin to shine through your heart. Some of us need to throw some of these things away and receive the newness, the new life that Christ has for us. As I close, pay attention. Just pay attention to your mind, pay attention to your heart, anything that is keeping you from full devotion and ask Christ for the courage to throw it all in the fire. You'll never miss it. You'll never miss it. You might detox for real. If it's a chemical addiction, you'll definitely detox. If it's addiction to anything else that fires all the dopamine, whether, whether it's social media or pornography or anything that keeps you, it, it, if there's a true thing, that, like you might feel detox. This is real. We call it detox, but you know, in the Christian world, we call these the effects of sin. And we just have to get that stuff out of our life. You'll never miss it. And truthfully, we're human. So you might mess up again. You might be tempted to go warm yourself at that old fire again. And even if you do that, God will honor the decision that you want to make today. He'll honor the willful decision that's empowered by his spirit that you want to make today.
You'll never miss it. And even if you make a mistake, Jesus will still be there to forgive you. Tim Keller put it this way. Jesus is the only God who, when you obtain him, will satisfy you. And when you fail him, will forgive you. When you obtain him, he will satisfy you. And when you fail him, he will forgive you. But he does ask for your whole heart. He does invite you to be all in. He does ask you to abandon your life into his, to abandon your heart into his love and to abandon your will into his purposes. This is the invitation that God has for all of us. Are you ready to let everything else burn and simply be all in with Jesus? This is the ultimate question of this passage and of our time together this morning. Let's pray.